Hello everyone and welcome to episode 20. That's right, we have now done, well, nearly done 20 of these things together Ooh. with me, Paul Anderson. Me, Pete Wall. And me, Connor Gagan. How many have you done, Connor? I think this is my third. Your third. So we'll see how well this one goes, because if it's not any good, we, just, we won't make it to Those three episodes that you've done, though, I would definitely put them in my top 20 Strangers episodes. Yeah, they're, I would they're say, in my I would top say three. Every, I would say of the recent episodes we've done, they're all in the top 20. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, six of the best, I don't think it's going to be troubled, maybe, by those. I'm not sure. Yeah. Someone asked me the other day, when they were getting on board with our podcast, like, you know, they are in their tens. Yes. And <laughs> uh, asked me, you know, if I was going to download one episode to really show what you guys can do, like the best of your work, and I genuinely struggled. I was like, I mean, because they're all so, so you, good. So we need it? to do six of the best of the podcast. Yeah. No, that would be so fun. How about that? And then you could play snippets from, yeah. <laughs> You'll have a lot more editing to do. There but is, I think yeah. it could be all Well, right. here's to another 20 then. Yeah. yeah. Are we ready to do a best of episode yet? Because we could just do all that thing. All the BBC shows do it, where you go, oh, I'm really looking forward to the final episode of Vibrant News for you, but it's cut together from it's bits of other episodes. Yeah. Clip show could be like 25, it's like quarter century maybe. Yeah, it's when, when we can't get all the talent together, and I mm. use the, the word talent very loosely, then we'll integrate. So do we with... think that this bit would make the best of clip show? I think, well... Or is that going a bit meta? Let's find out. So how you've you obviously not been around for all twenty. How have you enjoyed your first three? What have you been up to in fact? Let's, oh well should we look back on. at my time on the looking back at your time uh, on the podcast. What recently I've been moving house. So I have what not was the motivation for that man? Moving away uh, from the, the, the metropolis of Cheltenham into the backwoods. I think uh, it's just Broadway. slowly throughout my life living in a place that's less and less like a civilization. So, right. you know, I went from a very big city and now a smaller city in Cheltenham and now I'm even further away where there's less people. I've brought the average age down by about... Is there a cinema years. there or can no, you buy no, Blu-rays? No, would there you, is nothing... Would you say you're, you're kind of the Christopher McCandless of the uh, podcast world, where you've just... <laughs> into the wild? Are you with me? Oh, yeah, okay, yeah. yeah. You've kind of gone into the wild to uh, see how you survive. And when you're living your life in Broadway, does sort of random bits of Sparknotes philosophy come, you know, in front yeah, of your I just, eyes? I, get hit. I, I find myself staring out windows a lot. Okay. Or into <laughs> cups of tea, because yeah. that's just what people do. And They're just picking the native berries and not checking yeah good and oh my stomach has been terrible mm. but, but, but as McCandless learns in that thing really enjoyment or, or life experience is nothing without other people so now exactly. we're back on the that's show that's why that's why I come back to Cheltenham yeah. to see your point Rather of contact than, yeah to see other people alternatively did you get pissed up and sleep with a lot of men and then change your name to straight <laughs> I, 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 I have no idea what that means. It's from? a film called Wild, Connor, which I was a big fan of, if you remember. Oh, the, the podcast. Reese, Reese yes. Witherspoon. Yeah, uh, listeners will remember Wild's review as the one in which um, I was right and Paul was completely wrong. I don't know, you just go back and check it out. I think it's somewhere. The film's on Netflix now, by the way. So like, my review cannot have been wrong because I hated it. And that's a fact. Oh yeah, no, I just, I just mean your your opinion is valid because it's your opinion, just factually. It is wrong. I will defend your right to the dead, but you're just wrong. Have you seen Wild? Uh, no, of course not. It's on, it's on Netflix. You got that. You the, got that we barely have television. You've got Netflix, so they Wild is home for you. you okay, go. you'll hate Wild. it. I don't know why I've recommended it to you. 
I'm sorry in advance. So rather than sort of rehashing reviews of films that we previously <laughs> reviewed, what what have we collectively and individually been watching recently in See, the feature that we like to say is called What We've Been Watching Recently? Although I should mention there is a vague structure to today's show like you might come to expect. So coming at the end of the show, we're going to do a Six of the Best countdown. Um, we've done a few of them before. You're probably familiar if you've listened to the show before. Uh, Six of the Best this week is inspired by our, by our, by our featured review. I'm getting my words out quite awkwardly today. It's been a while. I'm out of practice. Um, yeah, we're doing a feature review today at The Martian, which is a big um, Ridley Scott movie at the cinemas, I'm sure you're aware. The six of the best is going to be space movies. We're all pretty excited about this. We're all yeah, fairly big or, or you know, at least average size sci-fi fans. So that's coming up. In the middle of... <laughs> average size. Thank you for putting me the big sci-fi fan in the room. <laughs> but together we're average. Yeah. Um, then in the middle part of the show, we're just going to have a little bit of a chat about some stuff we've got up to recently, including uh, Paul and I went along to a literature, Cheltenham Literature Festival talk all about Woody Allen and a retrospective on his career. Um, I also had the opportunity to watch a presentation given by Nick Frost, who you know from Space and the uh, Cornetto Trilogy and the Simon Pegg stuff, and other places, of course. And in this part of the show that we're now living in at this moment, right now. Uh, we're just going to talk about a bunch of stuff we're watching in what we have watched recently times. Things that what we have watched? Was it Films that we have watched and things stuff. And stuff, okay. Yeah, so, lads. <laughs> well, as you know, I've got supreme access to all things current. So yeah. it's great for me because now I finally get to watch the movies that you guys watched months ago. So I get to catch up on things like, I don't know if you heard of this, Mad, Mad Max? Ah, you've seen Mad Max. Yeah, too. have you heard of this? When, when it comes to doing this part of the show, it's like if I say, you know, Connors is really short, yeah. Paul's is moderate size and mine's really, really long, yeah. you only get one thing in mind and that's because you're filthy listeners. Because really, we're talking about lists of films, what we have seen. So, <laughs> oh, thanks! Yeah, mine is tiny! Uh, but, so you've finally yeah, seen the Mad original Max. Mad Max, or, yes. or are you yeah. in fact talking about we, Mad have Max? Have you guys Fury heard Rose? about this guy Mel Gibson? He's going to be huge. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, No, uh, yeah, the, the George Miller... Mad Max Fury Road, which we loved. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely, oh, absolutely loved. I've and seen it, it again recently as well and still loved it. What did you be, think It's going to be bothering those well, end of year lists, I think. I was really looking forward to it, but everyone was so hyped up about it, and everyone told me that I was absolutely going to love it, that I that I did. I just really liked it. I thought it was fantastic. I thought the it's non-stop action, and then when you watch the special features on the Blu-ray, you kind of love it a little bit more, because you see that they did all the action themselves, and then put CGI in all around it to make it look even better. So yeah, and the guy with the electric good. guitar. I mean, come on. See, that was uh, quite a disappointment for me. Really? Yeah, because everyone was like, "Oh, you gotta, lo- you'll love the guy with the guitar." I'm not, I'm not giving anything away, Connor. But when you see it, you're gonna love the guy <laughs> with the guitar. And I saw the guy with the guitar, and it just wasn't as good as I thought it was gonna be. Everything else about the movie, it was, was a guitar that yeah, flames. I, I felt yeah, like, I didn't I know that was, that was coming. I didn't know that was coming really. So when it was there, I was delighted. Yeah, but I knew, I knew it was coming. But apart from the guitar guy, it was, yeah. Having watched it now for the third time, I think it will probably make my top ten of the year. Oh, I think that. I thought you'd say it would quite safely make your top ten of the year. I'm surprised. Well, actually, yeah, quite safely. And I I, I love, and even on third viewing, I was just absolutely glued to it. Yeah, and I hope that they do more. I hope that they do more Mad Maxes with George Miller at the helm. Only if George Miller's at the helm. I think that's got to be the the prerequisite. Talking of um, things that they should do more of, I've got something they shouldn't do any more of. And uh, that is... That is uh, adapt Gillian Flynn novels because um, I, earlier in this year, it was this year, wasn't it, Gone Girl? 
Yeah. I can't no, quite remember year? whether it was back in the last year or early this year. Oh, I, got it. I think it was the beginning of this year. I have it on the, I have it on the, the shelf, shelf, yeah, but it doesn't, yeah. doesn't tell us. Oh, in fact, it will tell us you when it was made. Yeah. Yeah, just bear with us. So, whilst they're doing that impromptu research, I'm just going to give you the heads up to Gillian Flynn's latest novel that's been adapted is called Dark Places. It was. Well, showed some promise, basically, mm. because Charlize Theron is in the lead. Nicholas Holt, old Mad Max Link, yeah. um, is in it as well, who I like quite a bit. Ah, it is an awkward screenplay. I mean, Gone Girl screenplay is, is fairly sort of melodramatic mm. and, and awkward, and, and it sort of works because it's pulpy enough, it's sort of enjoyable yeah. enough. It's almost the along. point of Gone Girl, isn't it? Yeah, it's you good. kind of go along with the ride, and it's, it's good fun. But this thing, you know, Charlize Theron is, uh, has survived a killing that, where everybody in her family was slain in their family home, and she is now an adult, and she is, or was, questioned all the time about these events right. and what she remembers or doesn't remember because she was the only real witness. And the plot basically involves following Charlize Theron around as she meets Nicholas Holt, who seems to be involved in a society that sort of retrospectively review uh, murders or murder-suicides. And they're sort of amateur detectives. Review? Oh, okay. Um, like you might get on, you know, shows that kind of Blog pour over the details. Oh, yeah. yeah, and they all meet up, and it's all a bit... It seems like, where's all the money coming from? They've got, like, yeah. a premises, and they reenact things. The whole thing just seemed incredibly flim- flimsy and, and sort of um, penned by someone who's maybe doing their AS who's, levels. Who, who's, any big names... Uh, directing it or producing it or anything? Oh, I forget who's the director. It's not a, a huge name like yeah, Fincher, sure. but but yeah, I mean, it's it's just sort of um, it, it has the feel of uh, of a television movie. It sounds like a like a late night film for yeah. Channel Four produced, and, and movie or it sounds not great from what I'm saying. And as yeah. the film goes on, it sort of unravels. So yeah, a, a bit of a damn squib and, and just avoid it. Really. Can I throw in something that is great? Yep. That is the Monster Squad. The Monster Squad. Now you would love this. Okay. In fact, anyone with a heart would love the Monster Squad, and it disappoints me that so few people seem so to have heard. Pete what doesn't. Have, Pete doesn't have a heart. Though. Pete's got a heart. Oh, Pete's yeah, got a heart. Cool. The Monster Squad is a not as well known '80s sort of kids caper film written by Shane Black and directed um, by Fred Decker. Is it, is it new or it's no? It's '80s. It 80, is '80s. '86, '84, '86, mid '80s, mid '80s kind of kids kind of caper film. Very much in the vein of the Goonies, but I would possibly say, and this is Careful. controversial, as good. Okay. As good, uh, if right. not potentially a bit more fun than See, the Goonies. I, so if you're not if you're not being controversial, can I be controversial? I don't really like the Goonies. Though. Oh, get out. The Goonies quite irritating. Did, but what? Maybe that's because I saw it older than you're supposed to. Maybe if I'd seen it as a kid, I'd yeah, find you have it to see it. Yeah, yeah, you, you have to see up. it. So the, anyway, the concept of Monster Squad is uh, Dracula gets loose, and this group of kids who already have this. Monster Squad. They meet in a, they meet in a treehouse and discuss monsters. Cool. And one of the kids wears a T-shirt that just says Stephen King rules on it, which is a T-shirt that you'll probably see me in fairly soon. Uh, Dracula's a child in it. size. Or? Dracula's in it. Wolfman's in it. The Mummy's in it. The creature from Black Lagoon. It sounds a bit like uh, Bubba Hotep. It's, it's it's more it's more family fun than that, okay. and it's just it's just a lot of fun. The script's very sharp, it's very witty, um, as you'd expect from a from a Shane Black film. And there's it's a lot of fun and well worth a watch. It's streaming on Netflix as well, isn't it? At the moment, the Monster Squad is available on Netflix. I've yeah. seen it there after you so mentioned it. Definitely check it out. Well worth a watch. Bit of a lost gem for my money. Yeah, I've, I've never heard of it before. I'm just looking at the Blu-ray here. It looks good. 
Uh, where should we go from here? We've got lots and lots and lots that we could get to. I haven't um, seen anything. So, <laughs> you've yeah. only, so you, you've only seen Mad Max. Not, I uh, you I mentioned earlier you'd watched Dawn of the Dead. You've watched Age of Ultron. Oh yeah, no, yeah, uh, yeah. So I have, but these are all you know. Watch Dawn of the Dead. It's good. I watched Land of the Dead, which the is better than I remember, but no way. And George Romero like directed Land of the Dead. Yeah, and it's. It was promising because it came out after Dawn of the Dead remake, after Shaun of the Dead, so he was going to bring back the zombie genre, and he just didn't because then he went on to make, what was it, Diary of the Dead and Survival of the Dead with the zombie Well, he brought it back, but not... Yeah, and then did nothing with it. I think the premise premise for me in Land of the Dead was interesting, but the execution, I thought, was... Yeah, it was uh, somewhat it, lacking. It, I'm still, un- I think I'm still undecided about. I think, well, it, it, I think the problem with Land of the Dead was if you look at the calibre of the films he'd made in the past and the fact that he did essentially create the genre. Yeah, I think what Land of the Dead offered was kind of just a bit average. Yeah, I think he just, but then it was it was almost exactly the same as the 70s and 80s movies that he did. Well, yeah, like it, done, to done, me it struck me that it, is, it was sort of like it's great that George Romero is around. Yeah. But he's sort of just churning out the same thing. It's like yeah. when you have you know a, a favorite band and they've got some sort of seminal records mm. and then they have a reunion or they come back and they churn out a record and you think you know um, uh, who, who could we talk about now? Slayer. I mean, yeah. the, the new records rubbish. But like the Foo Fighters. But they sound very much like that band. They almost yeah. start sounding like a sort of caricature of the band that they exactly. are. I think that's it. He he made these seminal movies. Uh, Dawn of the, the original Dawn of the Dead '78 one is a, is one of my favorite movies. It is superb. And it influenced so much afterwards. And then he's just doing like the same. It's not. He's not. He's doing nothing. It's like doing new. the greatest hits again. Yeah. So and people like that. Like the greatest oh, hits yeah. are good. Like it's Land enjoyable. of the Dead is an enjoyable thing. If Definitely. you stick that on in the evening, you'll have a good time. But you will also be thinking, I could There's just be. Do so you think he'd been out? Do you think he'd been outdone by sort of younger directors? doing something a little bit different well uh, no because uh, he's the only one that does proper zombie movies where the zombies don't run and that you know like Shaun of the Dead was a better Romero movie he's not the only movie. one but no but I think just like maybe we've moved on from the zombie what? but enough about zombies though. I mean, we could talk about this for hours on end yeah I was going to say I, I, who's the guy I'm thinking of not Danny Boyle but the guy who wrote the screenplay of Alex Garland Alex Garland yeah. got quite salty in a, on a podcast another podcast oh, when he was yeah. accused of when, when the guy brought up oh of course we all know you know that the zombies they're not really zombies because they run right guys were all together on this and Garland was, was got his back up about that he was like well as far as I'm concerned they are and when I you know, well, they are zombies well, they, are, they are zombies even though the, oh, really? the geeks and stuff Cause cause I, I mean you're self-excluded because I remember reading that Danny Boyle said that it Zombies, zombies, movie, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think there's some division I, there. Yeah, it? so zombies rule. I love zombies. Uh, things that are slow moving. <laughs> Stop throwing that in there. I love zombies. That's good. You've got to get that stuff out. Things, things that move slowly and sort of communicate mainly by groans will <laughs> jump us straight in seamlessly oh, to nice. my little point of view of I do e- enjoy your segue. Everest. Um, Everest. I got to see Everest recently. It is a star-studded sort of reenactment of a disaster that happened in uh, 1994, I believe, on on the uh, or around the peak or the last section of the climb of, of Everest. And this film, uh, to to cut a sort of long story and journey quite short, um, is visually very very impressive. There's sort of great vistas. They I think they shot some of it at the foothills of, of Everest. They shot other parts elsewhere in the Alps and, and elsewhere. Um, 
yeah, it's brought together beautifully in most places. I think some of the cuts are a little bit short. I would have liked to dwell on that imagery for a little bit yeah. longer, but that's just my personal The trailer made it look visually visually superb, yeah, as it, it should be. And it is. And then you've got these actors, Jake Gyllenhaal's among them, uh, Josh Brolin's among them, um, a number of different people, big names. When you saw the trailer, it was just like bang, 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 bang. Wow, they've got together, you know, everybody from Hollywood right now. And this all comes together to produce just much less than the sum of its parts because I, and I thought about this during the film and after the film and I realised what it is for me anyway is that I've watched a number of documentaries not least amongst them Touching the Void which Amazing. I think a lot, a lot of people yeah. have seen yeah. which is so sort of visceral and so engaging and really puts you in the position of particularly because guys and I think this is important guys who've gone through that situation are talking to you about what that feels like yeah. when I see Josh Brolin I think there's Josh Brolin acting. Acting. Is that is that Brolin. a problem with his Thanks. acting style and performance, or is that just a problem with the fact that you know it's a film? I'll give you a two-part answer to that. The first part <laughs> is I don't know what. Well, I've got I've got some reasons for another time, but I don't really rate Josh Brolin as highly as every well, director. And you don't seems. like the Goonies either, so no. maybe it's Josh Brolin that you just don't like. Maybe that is it. And then the the other answer to sort of that question is I think that. Yeah, the performances are perfectly adequate, but it, yeah, I think that just the lack of knowing there's an actual lack of peril. You know what happens in the story yeah. if you have any knowledge of it, you know, going in, which I had a, a little bit, and you just sort of watch them go through the motions, and you think, I want to be in that. Like I, there's a there's a sequence right near the beginning where they place a ladder across like a crevasse, and Josh Brolin's character has to has to sort of tiptoe across this crevasse on this rickety ladder, and it is gripping the camera, swinging downwards. You see the expanse below him. Stick with a character, but yeah. the problem is they're jumping around. There's him and there's him. There's, and there's him too and there's many him. characters. Too many characters. Too many separate sort of sub stories. Some of them feel tacked on. Of course, they're based on true events, but it lacks focus. You, if you're going mm. to take on that kind of film, I think you've got to put the audience in the position of a human being well, who, you is, need to, you who also, is tiny. You need to care about the characters, and with that, and, and I could tell from the trailer there was just uh, I, you, you've kind of realised my worst fears of it. It was just like you cannot you cannot have time to engage. With that many characters, well, and you're omniscient as well, right? You're you're constantly moving over the mountain, you're flying over, you're down inside. Yeah. So for me, as the viewer, it might it was in IMAX, it was in 3D, but I still feel no real threat once they're there. Really, I, I, you feel, of course, you can empathise with people going through a situation like that to some degree, but yeah, just too withdrawn, I think, and and that was why it just didn't really hit me on a gut level. It sounds that'll like, bring us to Woody Allen later on. But it, it sounds like there were too many. Too many characters, too many things. Unless you're doing something like Lord of the Rings where you've got hours and hours and hours and to... I think on this podcast, you know I love Jake Gyllenhaal. You know, Jake J- J- yeah. can do almost nothing wrong. And here I don't think he really does anything wrong, but it's just... He's does just John Hawke in it? John Hawke's John Hawke's in it. John Hawke's phenomenal. Does he but, do much in it? But all I could think when he was at the top of Everest, have you seen Eastbound and Down? Yes. Right. All I could think was, shut up, Dustin. But <laughs> 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 he's like, oh, I'm not going to make it. I've got to get to the top. Shut up, Dustin. Is it, is it difficult to tell them apart? I'm guessing everyone's bit. got beards in it, and bit. everyone's got beanies on, yeah. and everyone's just trudging along. And there's that guy who I think is Charlotte Copley, who isn't. <laughs> the guy I'm talking about, he's called like Clark or something. Did you know this Jason guy? Clark. Jason Clark. Yeah, I was thinking they don't really look that much alike. No, they don't. But I was like, oh, there's Charlotte Copley. I'll tell, I'll tell my girlfriend that I know who all the actors are, and then you get the credits at the end. No, I don't. But anyway, that's enough on Everest. You know, over long. Does it, review for an overlong does it peak too soon? Oh, does it peak too soon? Does it peak too soon? Oh, no, it just doesn't reach a high enough 
peak. Macbeth, okay. Macbeth on Everest. Not Macbeth on Ice. That's a musical I want to see. Will you just let me speak, please? Sorry. Macbeth. Justin Kurzel directed. I believe it's Justin Kurzel. I don't don't know much about the director. Um, it's starring Michael Fassbender and Marion Cotillard. Can't go wrong. Um, uh, I think you mean Marion Cotillard. Marion Cotillard. I didn't think it was too bad for an Englishman to be honest. But um, yeah, Macbeth. I kind of it's if you see from the trailer, it's got a particularly sparse, very sparse visual style about it that I think lends itself well yeah. to the subject matter. Um, the film kind of the film opens up. It opens up visually very impressively, as I've just said, so I don't know why I said it twice. <laughs> visually, it's a very impressive film. Initially, I didn't think I'd like it. I, I sat there, and I was very much looking forward to it, and I thought, ah, oh, I don't think I'm going to engage well with this. And to say, and that sounds like a problem with the film. It's not a problem with the film. It, it's done with the Shakespearean, with the Shakespearean uh, way of speaking. Not heard of it, mate. Who? Not heard of Shakespeare. <laughs> Shakespeare. It's done with the Shakespearean way of speaking. Stop interrupting Sorry. me. With the Shakespeare. See, you've made me say it three times. <laughs> <laughs> you've You know what this could lead to? Bloody murder. Get back to Macbeth. It could lead to bloody murder, to be perfectly honest. What's that hovering in front of your eyes? A dagger? A dagger before me? Come on, I'm trying. I'm segueing you straight back here. Get it again. Straight back into it. Right. Macbeth. <laughs> so, so if... if right, initially I, found, initially I found the whole thing a bit too... Dis- I thought I would find the whole film too disconcerting to actually be able to engage with. Now, that, again, sounds like an issue. It's actually not. Because of the nature of the fact that it's a play, although they've adapted the screenplay, for obviously, from the original play, and obviously they have made some changes to make it work as a film, you need to get used to the fact that theatre is obviously a very different style to film, where actors will take it in turns and will kind of talk directly to the audience, and there's not so much of a natural free-flowing... Yeah. free-throwing dialogue between the characters. Now, initially, that kind of, that takes a little while to get into, but once oh, do, you... Do they talk like that, then, like, yes. one after the other? Yeah, I would say so. Oh. Uh, but once you get into that, it's absolutely superb. Yeah. I, d- I don't think there's two better actors today than the lead people in it. Uh, Michael Fassbender is superb. Marion Coutillard <laughs> <laughs> is, is superb as Lady Macbeth. Even her English accent isn't isn't too bad. It's more English than it's Scottish, admittedly, but it it works. Um, you've got admirable support from Paddy Constantine and Sean Harris, most recently seen as back on MI5. See, this was always the way, in like the 80s and 90s, whenever they made a Shakespeare movie, they just rammed it full of English actors. Well, Is he, it full of them? Or? Yes, not, yes. Really, not in the same... Derek not Jacobin the kind of thespians you'd expect, to be perfectly honest. Okay. Um, but I, th- I think they've, they've cast very well in Michael Fassbender. It's horrendously bleak. Absolutely horrendously big. If if you're taking someone to it's not Baz Luhrmann's Shakespeare, if you're taking right. someone with the intention of going, or oh, watch this film, it might get you into Shakespeare, it won't. Oh, really? Because it's bleak, it's inaccessible, and it's very, very dark. But as is the play and it's everything but it needs to be. Though. Very enjoyable. It's it's a slog, mm. but it absolutely should be. It should but be hard to watch. Thing. It shouldn't be happy, it shouldn't be a laugh a minute. They shouldn't modernise it. It looks absolutely superb, and it comes very, very highly recommended. I, I do want to say it from when I saw the trailer. No, I think I saw the poster, and I was like, oh, it's uh, it's Michael Fassbender with a beard, covered in blood, wearing a crown, and they just said Macbeth underneath it. I was like, yeah, I'm obviously going to want to see that, because it's... When will you watch it? Then? I will never watch it. I'll, I'll read the I'll read the screenplay Paul's, or the, the play first. Paul's blowing review notwithstanding. Did you ever get the idea that sort of in Hollywood, every I don't know, let's say four or five years, they say like, oh, what are we going to do? 
Just do another Shakespeare. Yeah, let's, let's Shakespeare try that one out. But I would agree with you. But actually, this this doesn't feel like that. I mean, oh, I, I know, I know when, I know where you're coming from, and it's an interesting point you raise actually, because there are a number of Shakespeare films. There's a number of Macbeths that are that are a bit like that. Because the the last Macbeth film I saw was the Polanski Macbeth, and that was decent. That, to be honest. Mel, no, Mel Gibson didn't. No, Mel Macbeth, didn't he? Hamlet. And I'm not, I'm not even no, necessarily speaking to sort of the quality of what comes out of that, but it's kind of like Dickens as well. Like every couple mm, of years, yeah. someone's like, oh, we might as well get out on Dickens, I've done that, for a bit. It's probably like a window. This is what the future's going to be like when every sort of seven years they just do a new Harry Potter movie. Well, it'd be yeah. getting through the, the Dan Brown, all of the yeah. Dan Brown oh, books, right? Oh, it's another... So. And, but Tom Hanks will still be in them. Yeah. Um, so this thing, taking on Shakespeare, definitely didn't end up being a train wreck, right? It didn't end up being I a train wreck. No. Hold on. <laughs> train wreck. Uh, I caught up with train wreck. Has anyone else seen this? No, it's Schumer and... Amy Schumer. I quite um, fancied it. I quite fancied the look of it. And then uh, my girlfriend Laura went to see it and said it wasn't wasn't that much cop. Yeah, I, I try and keep it brief again, but um, Amy Schumer, I, I, I'm a bit split on Amy Schumer because I think that she is uh, passingly funny. Um, I think she tackles issues... The I'm not going to say bravely because I think that word is kind of thrown around quite a lot. Just you, hero. you say something sort of <laughs> vaguely controversial or or just knowingly very controversial, yeah. and that's pretty. I'm not sure. I think that she's a pretty talented writer. I think she's done some good stuff. I think Trainwreck as a sort of showcase for what she does is a pretty pretty great example. If you want an introduction to what Amy Schumer is all about, this film gives okay. you that. And it also allows her to flex her chops as a dramatic actress to some degree, as well as just a comedy, um, you know, clown or... Sketch show type of thing. Yeah, a yeah. sort of um, more raucous, um, quick-firing... What's the girl from Girls now that I'm going to... Lena Dunham. La- Lena Dunham, yeah. So Lena Dunham's your sort of intellectual take on, on boldly talking about, you know, pubic hair. Yeah. Whereas Amy Schumer is just kind of your your girl at the bar who wants to be sort of bawdy and Melissa yeah. McCarthy. I think it basically works for her. And um, in this, they've got like LeBron James is in it with a cameo. Um, yeah. All kinds of people just but crop up. Bill Hader, he's the Bill Hader's the, uh, the love interest. Is he good in it? Because he's he is good. From what yeah. I've seen of him in uh, Saturday Night Live and stuff, he is one of the best performers. I think there. he is. I think he is. I think he does. Both the dramatic stuff and the comedy stuff. Yeah, pretty, I've never really seen. And... I've never seen him do something that isn't like a character a yeah. little bit over the top. A bit like Will Ferrell. It took ages for us to see. Nina Phil with the skeleton twins who plays it. He was, straight. yeah. yeah. Both try and commit suicide at the beginning of the film. That's a cheerio. <laughs> <laughs> him and but, Kristen Wiig. But anyway, sorry, back, to, train back to Train But yeah, Train I, I would, I would talk to you. It's a soft recommend. I think it's sort of about a 7 out of 10. It's quite me. a brave is it, name. Is exactly what you'd film. expect from the trailer. If you see well, the trailer, okay, you know Okay, here's the thing. Okay, if you, you kind of accidentally baited me back in so yeah, it, it, so Trainwreck the name of the film it obviously identifies Amy Schumer is that train wreck yeah. she's going to be a woman who's oh heaven forbid over 30 just over 30 because you know in every Hollywood film if you're going through a personal crisis it has to be just before you're 30 because that's when you sort your life out yeah. this came up in a film I watched yesterday as well but uh, The Obvious Child was yesterday's one but yeah in this case it still wants to sort of have its cake and eat it like it right. wants Amy Schumer portrays this train wreck of a woman until the point where we need to have sort of the romantic Hollywood tie-up uh, the ending, yeah, okay. where I think if we're talking about bravery, mm. it would be to have a bit more follow-through, she'd like that, on, uh, <laughs> oh, that joke writes itself, on, yeah, the, the conviction of sort of 
dealing with life's difficulties and not just going like, oh, it's all yeah. sort of magically solved now. Um, so if anything, I felt like that was a bit of a concession to sort of Hollywood norms. But then they, they but do, what do, you they expect? do it's though, a, don't it's they? It's a big comedy it, bit. It, is it a Judd Apatow film? Released wide, yeah. It's, it's, there's uh, there's uh, my problem with, there's my problem with all Judd Apatow work. Is but, it? But then, okay but, then on the other, but then on the other hand, you know, those films still exist. Yeah. Like, I, I'm sort of glad that they exist, even if their edges are blunted, you know. I'd rather them there than not, I suppose. I think we need more movies like The Graduate, where mm. it just ends, and they just have that look on their face where everything maybe isn't all right. Yeah. And I don't want it where everyone dies, like Shakespeare, but... Do you know the, maybe... do you know the ending, for example, that comes to mind of a film I don't know if I've raved about on this podcast so far, but Martha Marcy May Marlene. What? You know this. You know this. I've seen my favourite film of a few years, a few years Martha, ago. Martha, what? 2011, maybe. Do it, Martha, again. Marcy, May, Marlene. Okay. John Hawkes again. Right. Actually, coming back. It's, with a, that. it's an excellent film. Uh, fantastic, and that film ends with exactly the kind of ending yeah. that you might be. You're not, yeah. yeah, where someone may or may not be following her, and everything yeah. may or may not be fine. And, and it then is, boom. Oof, yeah. It's so you're constantly cut. asking yourself questions throughout, which I think is what movies should make. But then you know, your Hollywood films will never do that because it's not a commercial. It's not a commercial. God damn it, they should. But they, they won't. They won't should. Happen. It would be nice if they did, but they yeah. won't. So where do we go from here? Let's go into some sort of giant Hollywood film, I suppose. That would be the obvious place to go next, but I don't know what we've got. Well, if we're or going we go, giant... We can go opposite that. If we're going giant, I can talk to you about a giant monster film that I've seen recently. Okay. Godzilla versus the sea monster. Oh, so this is that Godzilla from a couple of years ago, right? Yeah, this no, is it. Godzilla meets this Pacific is not, Rim. This is not Godzilla from a couple of years ago. This is Godzilla from... 1966. 1966. So this is one of the original run of Toho yeah, Godzilla well, when films. When was the first one? No, you're Godzilla. asking. 60, it was, 50 it something, been... I think. Oh, really? Oh, Earlier. Yeah. Um, thank you for, thank you, Godzilla, thank you for highlighting my lack of research yeah, into when the first Godzilla film actually was. It was 1848. Godzilla vs. the Sea Monster, a.k.a. Ibera Horror of the Deep. Okay, that sounds more like a Godzilla movie. Yes, it's pretty much as you'd expect. It's batshit crazy. Uh, it's thoroughly entertaining. Um, there's some tiny little people that summon Mothra. Um, Godzilla essentially comes to an island. Basically, there's some military types. I think military types. They look like the military types. And they are pouring some pollution things into the sea, <laughs> which then attracts the attention of Ibra, a giant crayfish who starts attacking people, and then Godzilla turns up and saves the day. Godzilla's a good guy, this is where... Godzilla's a good guy, yeah. Because almost immediately after they made the films, he became a good guy. He became a good guy, like yes. like a hero. He's, he's kind of like, he was kind of like, a, to go deep here, he's like Gaia, it's like the Earth spirit. Okay. Yeah, so, he's Gaia. He's Gaia. Yeah. Godzilla's Gaia. Godzilla's Gaia. Godzilla's Gaia. Yeah. Well, actually, according to the 1998 Running Emmerich film, he's asexual. Not can, asexual. Even no one acknowledges the 1990. Asexual. We should. Is he asexual or no? <laughs> no. Is he, he's non. He's bi. He's just bi curious. But regardless of Godzilla's sexuality, <laughs> regardless of Godzilla's sexuality, the film is a lot of fun. That was the main takeaway from your review. Yeah. It yeah. Like. Is it? Is it now? I know it's kind of a tricky question to ask. Is it well shot? Is it well put together? If, yeah, if you're, if you're not like out? a Godzilla convert, like if you're not absolutely worshiping at the Church of Godzilla, is this for you? Like if you you know if you're the uninitiated, no. could you go into this thing? No, no I wouldn't say. Again, it, it, like I was saying about Macbeth, if someone's not into Shakespeare, I wouldn't show them this adaptation of Macbeth. No, so how does this? To love it. How does a movie like this compare to the great B movies or kind of A movies of the 50s and 60s from America and the UK? Things like you know when worlds collide, the day the earth caught fire, and beasts from 20,000. It's kind of similar, to be perfectly honest. It it, it 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 feels very much like a. 
like a throwaway kind of matinee B movie that's yeah. that's a lot of fun. It's, it's good fun. Yeah. Godzilla's a guy, and this is the point where the monsters were still guys in suits. Of course. It's a lot of fun. The plot is batshit crazy and laugh out loud funny throughout. Whether it was intended to be, I couldn't tell you. It is. Uh, and it's thoroughly entertaining. I've always had a bit of a soft spot for the sort of man in a yeah. man in a suit monster movies. Like the, is it no Swamp Thing? Not, uh, the, the one that looks like Swamp Thing. The Creature from the Black Lagoon. Yeah, that's it. That's, yeah. But that, that's, no, it, this is not as good a film as Creature oh, really? from the Black okay. Lagoon. Because um, that's, that's an exceptionally good film. It's kind of it's kind of feels like them or that, that kind of sort of B-movie thing. And if you're a fan of the Godzilla films, then I would recommend it. Uh, if not, then... So, to no. sort of wave in everyone's face the wild eclecticism of this show, mm. um, can we jump from there to what is definitely... Well, it can't be one of my best films of the year or favourite films of the year because, according to the IMDb, it came out in 2011. I thought it was, like, last year. <laughs> I thought it was more recent than that. Yeah, the, anyway, I should name the title of this film. Yeah. Uh, it is uh, the Iranian film A Separation, which, had I done my countdown and seen the film in 2011, would definitely be right up there. Okay. This thing is is just a fantastic social drama that has ripples into sort of society both in Iran which I can't claim to have great insight into coming into watching this film and even you know going out of this film I think it gives you it gives you that experience but just sort of a, a, a snippet yeah but it also resonates I think to a much much wider audience so what, what's it about so this um, I just mentioned the director is someone called Asghar Fahadi um, I've looked that up um, I didn't remember but Asghar Fahadi um has introduced us to a situation where uh, there is a separation of a okay. couple, as you might have guessed from the title. Um, yes, uh, a married couple are going to get separated. It seems as if more by the request of the female, the woman, the wife, than her husband. In the process of separating or possibly reconciling, she moves out to go and live with her sister. This small change leads to the husband having to get in a carer and sort of housekeeper because his ailing father is living at their house okay. with his young daughter as well. So when the daughter's at school and he's at work, they need someone to take take care of the father who seems to have fairly um, it's fairly developed uh, Alzheimer's right. and sort of problems with, with remembering what he's doing. So problems arise here societally because the woman has to deal with a man. Things like changing his clothes when he soiled himself, for mm. example. I mean, it's easy to think about something like a more when you're watching. Yeah, this I, was to, I was about degree, to say, like, is, it, dealing is it similar with, to a more? Yeah, we're or? dealing with sort of old age and dignity and trying to protect that dignity. Um, it's very sort of well handled, I think, here. But then an event happens and the whole film pivots on this event and it's a dispute between the housekeeper relating to the father and the husband who finds out that he, well, he thinks that the housekeeper has, has misbehaved right. in the house. And an event, a sort of confrontation takes place and the ramifications of that, of that confrontation are sort of the rest of the film. Um, it is also anchored by the wife, and I've got this name written down here, so I should mention it whilst I can. Uh, Layla Hatami is her name, and I just thought that she was fantastic, the, the wife in the, in the couple. I looked into her IMDb, and it seems like she's got a fairly limited filmography, but she is upturned, sort of beautiful, beguiling, strident, strong-willed, vulnerable. Like It is a, a tour de force of an acting performance, yeah. I, I think. And I just wholeheartedly recommend it to anyone who's got any interest in, in sort of dramas, social dramas, and, and just experiencing other cultures as well. Because when we did that episode a couple ago, we all talked about, you know, why are you into films or what got yeah. you into films or keeps mm. you interested? For me, 
when I watched The Separation, I thought, and I was reminded, this is exactly why I love film. Because it's put me in a place that I know almost nothing about, and it's given me experiences that have really broadened my horizons yeah. and sort of heightened my appreciation. So it's given you, it's opened up a little window into some other, completely other way of life. And absolutely. It's, and absolutely. it's done it well. Yeah, oh, fantastically well. Yeah, I recommend it. Separation. Well, another film on that, on that, the same kind of thing, really, I would say, in a film that was one of the, would reminded me of why I like films, a film that we've both seen quite recently, mm. I think this is probably the last one we talk about in this, this little section, um, but of Peter Strickland's The Duke of Burgundy, which mm. we were both guilty of both going, oh my god, we must go to the cinema to see it, and we yeah. both had this conversation where we were going to drag our respective other halves to Bristol to see it, and then we never saw it at the cinema, and then I bought it on Blu-ray when it came out, and I've only just got around to watching it and I think yeah. you've watched it quite recently as well yeah and I think having seen sort of having seen Barbarian Sound Studio which I thought was a superb example of of a horror this film this was Toe Jones yeah. uh, Foley effects horror giallo Italian horror film sounds yeah and, and I'm a big fan big fan of giallo and a big fan of Italian horror and it, it kind of it was it's a nice homage to those kind of things and it's kind of similar to um for the film called A Mare and that kind of giallo effect, and it was just a really unsettling and disturbing film. And the Duke of Burgundy, based on that, was very excited for the Duke of Burgundy, and I had no idea what to expect from the Duke of Burgundy at all. Um, and to kind of set the scene a little bit... Well, well, to be fair, Paul, someone reviewed it for our site, but the review was a kind of long-form, do you remember? The, the yeah. It was kind of long-form <laughs> review, which, and it's no disrespect to her, because she's a really, really good writer, but uh, it, it sort of was, there was enough sort of a left to the imagination that you didn't necessarily still know what this film no. was all about when you got so to kind of set, set the scene in there there's a, a, a couple there's there's women a couple women that live together uh and uh, one of them is into being is into being submissive but and which likes, one and likes the other one to be dominant and what's very interesting about the film is it is it turns the kind of idea in its head where you'd normally expect the person that plays the dominant role in this sort of subdom relationship, the person that plays the dominant role, you you naturally expect that they want to be, to be playing that role. And actually, what Duke of Burgundy does very, very well is, is turn that idea on its head. Yeah, we shouldn't say too much, because no. it might sort of detract from the film yeah. a little bit. But, but yeah, it's exactly that ambiguity that I think is so clever about that relationship. Yeah. Because at turns, I think it's actually more complex even than that, where you sort mm. of feel that the, the, the tennis ball in this, in mm. this power exchange, kind of going from one side of the court to the other. And... and I mean, you sort of touched on this, but we can't skip over the fact that I said when I was talking about this afterwards that I don't think that there's any British director that I know of who is doing quite what Peter Strickland is doing with visuals. Right I now. would agree with that. Like, it's, it, it, it's, it's a really beautiful film. Oh, just so sort of beguiling. It's like you, you get intoxicated with the imagery. In, in I think there were, there were points in the film, and I don't know what, I haven't quite decided if this is a criticism of it yet, because I only watched it the other day, where I was just so lost in what was going on on the screen that it felt like I was in a dream. And Bavarian South Studio did a kind of similar thing, mm. and that sounds really pretentious, I think it's but I don't entirely care. deliberate. Because I know what you mean. I haven't, because I haven't it was, seen it. But I just felt so wrapped up in what was going on and just almost baffled in a way. And I thought, you know what? I'm meant to be baffled at this point. No, I'm not I, meant to... I'm meant to lose myself in this moment. I haven't, and I, haven't, I loved it for that reason. I haven't seen either of these, but it sounds like... It sounds kind of Kubrick-esque. From the look, I mean, yeah, like attention to detail yeah, as well as yeah. like every yeah. light is exactly where it should be yeah, in absolutely. the thing, and it sounds a bit like uh, 
Who's the director who did uh, In the Mood for Love? Um, yeah, it sounds like those kind of There's films. a sort of lushness to the, yeah. the, the visuals and a sort of colour saturation that's a bit one yeah. yeah, I think those are both good. But no, I think you're, 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 the Kubrick point is a valid one because the attention to detail in every shot, it, it's the kind of thing that you don't necessarily notice until it's there. Yeah. And then when it's there, again, this sounds, this sounds like I'm contradicting myself, but then you don't notice, but you do. Yeah, yeah, no, it, it, so it, all, it feels everything natural. goes in. It feels natural, but the more you think about it, the more you think that he's such a... I imagine, and if you see him in an interview as well, I get the impression that he is absolutely meticulous with every well, detail. And, and, and at once you can sort of flop out another big cinema giant onto the table, which is David Lynch, because yeah. there's there's a sort of Lynchian quality mm. to that sort of dreamy, yeah, intoxicant feeling of the, of the I, whole I, film. I, I, works I, I got earth. more of Lynch in Bavarian than I did in... Duke of Burgundy, mm. but that's not that's not to Duke but of it, Burgundy's detriment. It just at all, sounds but. like these are very very extremely well made and put together films, like where great thought has been taken and in, in everything in it. But you that, see, the, the difference between, between between this and Bavarian Sound Studio is I sort of admired that film, but I yeah. didn't necessarily love it. Whereas this, I it just it just got me. I don't know, it just it really got me. So sort of visually and dramatically and in terms of its whole mood, it it felt to me like the logical progression. I was just so happy that this was what came yeah. after, really. I'd say he's, so this is after Barbarian. Yeah, yeah. This only came out early part of, early this year, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It can qualify for this year's uh, yeah. top ten. Um, anything else? Can I just reel off a couple of things really, really quickly, sort of sentence-long reviews of these things, yeah. because otherwise I won't do them on the next show and it'll be too long. Um, one of those is a documentary. It's called The Internet's Own Boy. It's streaming now on Netflix. It's all about... Um, Aaron Schwartz is his name. You might know this guy. You might know this guy. He uh, committed suicide at 26, but he is also the guy who was responsible for, or largely responsible for, both Reddit and RSS oh, feeds, yeah. like the one yeah, that sends yeah. this podcast out into the world. <laughs> the guy, an absolute wunderkind, I guess yeah, you would yeah. say, who, who just blazed a trail from the age of about nine or ten way above his station in terms of you know giving lectures to rooms full of full-grown adults and professors when he was barely old enough to see over the lectern um, eventually got himself into trouble with the authorities because he felt or the key issue in this documentary and his, his legacy I guess is that he felt that the distribution of um, academic journals should be free given that those academic articles are written by academics who receive nothing for them um, if they are you know graduate students postgraduate students yeah. and so on and um, they are then sold back to people behind a paywall by a private corporation which they are yeah. so Schwartz basically went about trying to free up that information putting it out there for people the authorities didn't like this even though what he was doing was very, very tangentially illegal, I think, if at all. Mm. Um, really hounded him, threatened him, threw, threw the book at him, sort of threw the kitchen sink at him, put him into a corner, so sort of dark and bleak that I think he saw nowhere to go. And I think it, when you see uh, Tim Berners-Lee, Berners is the guy, isn't he, the internet yeah. inventor, uh, giving sort of a rousing a tribute to a guy who only made it to 26, you see that he had a huge impact yeah. on, on a lot we of things. lost out. The, yeah, that we deal with it today. Um, rubbish film, tall hot blonde, avoid at all costs. It's like catfish. Is that the tal 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 hot blonde? Why does no one acknowledge that throughout the whole film? He's oh, he's a piece of shit. And, okay. and if you've seen Catfish, there's less than no yeah. reason to watch it. Um, oh, Straight Outta Compton. I feel a bit sad that I'm not talking about this more, but Straight Outta Compton is, um, in a nutshell, the exactly the story that 
if you were the people who were in NWA, you, mean, you would tell made. to make you seem as good as possible. They did amazing things. They did amazing things for hip hop. They did amazing things for, for you know, social groups and, and factions of society. But there are times where, you know, a character will walk on, oh, here's, here's Snoop Dogg. I think the weakest performance of the entire film is the guy played Snoop Dogg. Right. Here's Snoop Dogg. And he'll just like go over to a keyboard and play out, you know, the tune to like one of his most famous yeah. ciphers, and then he'll just say, "Oh, I got, I got something for this," and he'll just lay down a whole verse off the top of it. And you're like, "Come on!" It is. Guy. I mean, it is. <laughs> Ice Cube did produce this movie, didn't he? Yeah, and, and Ice Cube's son, son plays Ice Cube. Apparently, good, had to audition. I do, kind of, I do want it. I do want to see it. I have to say yeah. It's good, man. It's enjoyable, but it it's very sort of lot. Side is very one-sided. I think they they touch on the whole sort of Suge Knight controversy. They can paint Suge Knight as a bad guy because he's done so many terrible things. The, the people who get any flack in this are the only people who could get any flack in this. If yeah. you know anything about the, the story, um, I've almost finished. I promise. Um, one more <laughs> cinema release so that people have seen this recently. No Escape. Um, this is Lake Bell and um, Owen Wilson. Lake Bell is, is just unbelievably beautiful, I think. Um, I saw her recently in that Simon Pegg movie, um, Man Up. Man Up. Everyone missed Man Up. Yeah. It only came out this year. <laughs> Man Up. She does an amazing English accent in it. But yeah, no escape. Her and Owen Wilson are a married couple. They move out to Thailand. As soon as they get there, everyone in Thailand ha hates everyone from America, it seems like, and tries to kill them at all costs. Uh, it's been accused of being quite xenophobic. I think it is a little bit. But it is also sort of... Rollicking good fun. So make of that what you will. Um, Lake Bell's really, really good. Uh, Owen Wilson I like a lot. It's daft, but it's... It, it sounds like... Moves along at a pace. It's like when Hollywood sits down and they go, we need ideas for movies. And it's you're meant to be able to do it in like one sentence, what a movie is. Like an alien gets left a, uh, on Earth and he befriends a kid and yeah. they have to try and get him back home. And goes, oh, brilliant, War of the World. No, I'm just getting E.T., of course. And now they're just like, so instead of coming up with actual stories, they just go, we get this actor and this actor. And, and put them somewhere. And they do, and they do <laughs> this. They yeah. go to the moon and it's hilarious. Or or they, they find the Loch Ness Monster, but they accidentally get it killed and, and turn it into So talking of uh, they go into space to the moon or maybe even to Mars, when we come back, our feature review of... <laughs> where are we going? Scott's the Mars. Where are we going? After these short messages. <laughs> So now we're back from going nowhere. Going nowhere. nowhere. <laughs> yeah. After those enjoyable short messages from all of our sponsors. Yeah. No, I, I must mention that that, that, is the, that is the point where in the future we are going to be inundated with sponsors. So sponsors, yeah. if you want a slot on this show, send that's me, the place where send you can an email. And that kind of seamless transition is what you can expect to sort of lay up yeah. your product. We'll send you a press pack. So I understand you guys have been to this place called a, a Kinemana. <laughs> Kinemana, where they show big films, yes? Yes. Cinema, that's it. That's oh, our feature review. Are you, yeah. are you getting around to our feature and review? And you've seen, apparently Ridley Scott is still making movies. Ridley Scott is still making movies, and the movie we're going to talk about is The Martian, Martian. starring Matt Damon, and I think it's, we won't always bring up the writer on the show, and that's somewhat remiss of us at times, but I feel it pains to bring up the writer, because I think it is almost as much the writer's film as it is the director's film, and, and that is Drew Goddard. Drew Goddard, from Buffy. Who yeah. has done a lot of work with Joss Whedon, directed Cabin in the Woods. Ah, oh, yes. Um, now, we've both seen it. Did I you think, direct it? 
Yeah, he directed that. He directed, directed Cabin in the Woods, yes. Now, so, so, yeah, we've both seen it. Sorry to interrupt, Paul. I was just going to say that the briefest of, of setups here, in mm-hmm. case anyone is unaware, is that um, there is a mission at the beginning of the film. We see that this mission is in progress, and the mission is on Mars, as you could have imagined. Um, and then the mission, well, they're basically struck by a storm, right? But let's just sweep over the fact that that probably couldn't happen in the atmosphere of Mars, I don't think. But anyway, yeah. I think he's admitted as, as much, Ridley Scott. But um, it's a bit of license. But Ridley Scott does love space storms, which we'll get back to. True, true story. Um, so they have to quickly uh, abort the mission and leave. But in the process, Matt Damon's character is struck by a bit of debris and is stuck, essentially. And the spacecraft has left Mars and left him on his own. Well, they presume him dead, don't they? Which is yeah. Not how how far trailer. away was it? Was it like Home Alone, where they're, they're on there and they no, count no, everyone up? And no, it's like, yeah, <laughs> they're no. Like, they don't, they don't, millions in Mars. They don't away. wake up halfway back and go, where's Matt Damon? Yeah, oh, damn it, man. <laughs> Well, and interestingly, <laughs> Matt Damon has left places quite a lot. Or he, he does. Left places quite a yeah. lot. He is, you know, saving Private Ryan. That's all. Let's go <laughs> yeah. and get Matt Damon. Just down he's lost. Right. Uh, in, uh, what's the, the, the movie? Good Will Hunting. He's emotionally lost. The, the Gus Van Zandt movie in the desert. Jerry. 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 Right. He's lost in the desert. And Jerry yes. walking about very far from other people. But anyway, that's by the by. Paul, what were your impressions of this here? I didn't expect much from The Martian based on Ridley Scott's recent output, which, let's be honest, has not been the best. I haven't caught up with Exodus yet. I haven't heard good things. His last foray into sci-fi, Prometheus, looked absolutely superb. Better on second On second or third viewing, it's a solid sci-fi action film, but it's not the film it could have been. So I didn't go in with high hopes of The Martian, to be perfectly honest. And I actually have to say I was very pleasantly surprised and really enjoyed the film. I thought it... Special effects-wise, as you'd expect from Ridley Scott, he's never had an issue making films look good, whatever yeah. you think of his, whatever you think of him as a trait, filmmaker. Isn't it? Yeah. Design and art, and he makes it look good. He's used the space storm again. There's one in Alien. There's one in Prometheus. There's now one in The Martian. He does love storms, but again, it's a plot device that you can you can go with it. Yeah. And actually, what I thought, what I really liked about The Martian is, although we've seen obviously we've seen Interstellar back end of last year, which I initially thought might, this might be similar to that, and obviously we've seen Gravity, and again. You know, comparisons can be made, but what I really liked about it was it just felt the tone of it, and this is why I wanted to really sort of drive home the Drew Goddard point, the tone of it, I thought, felt very different to other films. It was it was humorous throughout. I thought Matt Damon was very funny, very engaging. It had moments of drama. It had the big set pieces, but it was very funny and very lighthearted. It reminds me of something... And I still, to this day, I still to this day, it was only last week I've seen it, <laughs> to, this, to this day, I still cannot remember what it reminded me of, but it had a very light-hearted tone about it, it almost like a playful tone, although it was emotional and had those moments, yeah. it was humorous and thoroughly entertaining throughout, and I, I came away Guardians really enjoying it. Maybe. With the kind of disco soundtrack stuff that they've got. I mean, not yeah. the films are very, very different, but that sort of soundtrack. But, but if, you might be able to help me on this one, because what it was is, is in the, it's in the right of the credits, and this is not a spoiler in the slides, right of the credits, as the credits roll, it does that thing where it shows a still of the actor. So it's sort it's of like a TV yeah, trope. And that, it? and I was like, that was great. And it was, it was that kind of thing. Maybe it just reminded me of a mood of like a 70s... It felt like it's a seventies um, yeah. TV show ending. Yeah, yeah. The way they're like, you've been watching, you know, it was a bit <laughs> yeah. like that. Yeah. Right? And, and, and I and I really like that, and yeah, it, it made it felt really fresh and very different to what I was expecting. Mm. Um, Pete, what were your thoughts? I, yeah, I, I pretty much agree with you on this thing. I, I liked it quite a lot. Um, whether it's going to be top ten of the year, I'm not so sure about. Maybe maybe just outside, but who knows? We'll, we'll see. Um, I think that 
that there is sort of there's a better section of this film. Like what I'm most interested in is the stuff with Matt Damon in isolation on Mars. Yeah. I think when you have the stuff where they've got uh, Kate Mara can now be hired to sit at a computer, tap on it. Exactly. You know, in the, in the new um, Fantastic Four movie, oh, there's Kate Mara on the computer. Definitely. This starts. Oh, Kate Mara's back on the computer being a nerd. Um, tell you who is in this, uh, by the way. What's everyone in, is in, in this. NASA? Uh, Mackenzie Crook. This is an actress that I think will be um, some someone to watch. Have, has anyone watched that thing, Halt and Catch Fire, the TV show? No. Mackenzie Crook. Who's Mackenzie Crook from the Isn't Office? Isn't that the guy from the Office? Oh, I've, one of one <laughs> of those names is wrong then. Mackenzie Davis Mackenzie is who Crow. I think. Right. Yes, yes. <laughs> Mackenzie Crook. Sexy female actress. She's very good. Mackenzie I was like, I it to the ditch. Yes, so yeah, scratch that bit, take it out in the edit or whatever. <laughs> but um, yeah, Mackenzie Davis is the person I'm thinking of. Hold and Catch Fire with my boy Scoop McNary. In that, she pay, plays a sort of virtuoso uh, computer geek. In this, she plays a virtuoso computer geek. Oh, sorry, geek. I know. Yeah, the, the I've blonde seen, girl. I've seen her elsewhere as well. Yeah. Because I haven't seen the. I think shoes. she's got a lot of spunk about her, not in that way. Um, yeah, and then aside from her, you've got Donald Glover playing like a really yeah, weird was... kind of genius. Donald Glover at the moment he just lives this charmed life where people just give him roles where he gets to look like the best thing ever. Yeah, and he'll go, I'll so, do it. Like in, in Magic Mike uh, XXL recently, he got to play like every woman's fantasy who's like really caring and also sexy and also has a great singing voice. In this, he just sort of saves everyone with his brain. Yeah. No, no spoilers intended. Um, yeah, the, the film with Matt Damon on Mars, I found pretty compelling. And I think Matt Damon gave one of his strongest career performances. Really? I would agree with that, yeah. Really he, was, so is it, he was brilliant. He does was he do the whole castaway thing where he's trying to figure out how to survive, basically? Yeah. But all the while he knows that he's got a certain number of days. He needs he to survive, out. yeah, for sort of a certain window of time. He's so he has to science, science the shit yeah. out of it, as yeah. he says in the in the trailer. And he's a botanist, which is sort of a, a, a running joke because it seems and so... It, and it's also handy. For, it, yeah. Don't get me wrong, it's a handy plot device that he's a botanist. It's based on a book, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, and apparently the book goes sort of quite a lot deeper, I think, into into the science of the situation right. and the botany and the communications yeah. and things like that, and people recommend the book over the film, but I think... As, I'm glad the film didn't do that, because yeah. then it would have felt a bit more, and it would have felt a lot like... And it's not, like we were talking about before, man, it, it wouldn't have made it to be a huge Ridley Scott wide release, yeah. it, just, it just wouldn't, so you take what you're given and you have to take it on its own merits, and I think there are quite a lot when it comes to the market. So, so. It's, it's, a, it's a good film. It is a good film. It's a very, sure very yeah. enjoyable and film. And Jessica Chastain, I think, is, is really strong in this as well, because like, as opposed to Interstellar, where she was wasted, in my opinion, mm. in, in this, she gets a bit more space to act, and she's a really good actress, and she's pun? proving herself to be... Uh, yeah, she gets more space <laughs> Accidentally, so a lot, a lot now, of space. It, uh, Matt Damon or Jessica Chastain, I can't remember which one, were, were, they weren't sure about doing this movie. Because they'd just done Interstellar. I think that was Matt Damon. Yeah, yeah. Well, it then, might be yeah. both of them. No, yeah. And then yeah. someone, said, Matt Matt Damon. Said, yeah. and someone said, well, it's a Ridley Scott movie. And he was like, oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, well, he, he read the script and he saw that it was yeah. much, the character was a lot different from the yeah. guy. But no, and I would say, it, it, I would say even, to, even to people who wouldn't normally go, go near sci-fi, because I know sci-fi does alienate, does alienate a lot of people, and especially to those people who Interstellar alienated, and I know they're out there, and it frustrates me they're out there, but they are out there. I would say don't be put off, even if, if you didn't like how serious and Interstellar was, and thought that was laboured and a bit boring, then you're wrong, but okay. Uh, but don't be put off by that, and don't be put off by the fact it's sci-fi, because there's a lot of fun to be had here. It's don't forget, throughout the whole thing, Matt Damon is an alien. So <laughs> yeah. I, think, I think that also those three films that you mentioned have sort of their own individual strengths, mm. I, for, for my mind anyway. I think Interstellar shows you more of the sort of awe 
of space yeah. and space travel and does a better job with that than than maybe this movie, The Martian does. But yeah. then The Martian spends more time sort of because the Interstellar actually it feels like they sort of pit stop on you know when yeah, they land it's it's a few yeah. seconds, a few minutes and then and then it's done and they're great sequences but they're quite short. It stays more there and then and then Gravity being the the best of the three films. We'll come to that later on. Is uh, it's got its own sort of um, strengths. Like yeah, I, it is. It is something that I, as soon as I saw the trailer, and it, it sounded boring. Like at first, just saw the poster and Matt Damon, Damon's face. <laughs> it just says the Martian, and then it said Ridley Scott. I'm like, going, he's still making movies, and I love Ridley Scott. Some of his earlier stuff, 30 years ago, was amazing, <laughs> and then he did Gladiator, and that was that was fantastic. And then he just sort of like let himself go. And if he's listening, he, I think he now he wants to kill me, but. Then I saw the trailer and I was like, actually, yes, it looks like it could be a really enjoyable movie that is probably ridiculously well paced, I imagine. Yes. Considering what it probably takes place over months, mm. if anything. So, yeah. yeah. Well, let's not, let's not loiter then. We've mentioned Interstellar. Let's, let's go straight into six of the best space movies. I do, see, do, the feel theme like, I do feel like we've skipped over our Nick Frost, Woody Allen talk. I think we oh, may have yeah. done are yeah. we going to have to hold that one for a Hold off the, mu- the okay. music. Well, well, i tell you what, listeners, here's a, a deal. I, got very, I do apologise, Pete. I no, got that's, very that's excited about space movies. That's absolutely <laughs> fine. Although, space movies, spaced, Nick Frost. Oh, oh and we're back. Got it back. Um, <laughs> yeah, to be fair, listeners, we're going to make a deal here. It's a one-way deal because you have absolutely no say in what happens. <laughs> uh, and that deal is that we are going to do a Six of the Best Woolly Allen, at which point we will come back to this thing that we went to see with Jason Solomons from The Guardian talking about Woody Allen's career. That will fit into that episode and we'll also do a feature review of Woody Allen's newest um, yes. movie. So, so it means I can understand more about this new person you've told me So about. that all comes Woody together. Alarm. Woody Alarm. Woody Alarm is going to be <laughs> heavily featured in a Woody episode. And perhaps you could watch I mean, uh, Woody Allen's latest film at the same time that we I have do. seen at least one of his movies. Well, if it's like episode 21, it'll be fitting for Woody Allen because it'll be about the average age of his on-screen girlfriends true, yeah. and, and too for his real-life yeah. relationships. But we'll, we'll get to that later. So what are we... Sorry, what are we for listening. And, and <laughs> Nick Frost bit is... Uh, Nick Frost seems like a lovely man who's gone through a lot in his life. Go back and watch all his stuff and go easy on him. He likes, he likes food. What? So what are we, what are we talking about? Six of the best, you guys. Six of the best. Six of the best. Space. This is where you get to contribute something about Yay! films. Uh, so we can open with... We'll do... The usual thing, no particular order, yes, two each. Yes. We're gonna, well, we need to. Have yeah, to add, there but. are a couple of movies that we're gonna throw away because they're terrible, terrible. No, because these movies are almost too good that if they weren't on our list, then people would get annoyed. It might be a bit redundant if we if we either mention them or don't mention them. And also, if we start talking about them, we might just talk and talk and talk. Yes, yeah. episode's gonna end up being. And it means that then there's loads of movies they're never gonna mention. For so sure. yeah, one, you need to make space. The ones that we want to just say, yeah, we know that they exist. Star Wars. What? Yeah. Is that a film? Apparently. Again, big, 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 big feature review is going to be coming. I'm not even a fan, not even a fan of Star Wars. Yeah, no, you're not. No, that's why you're wearing a Star Wars. Star Wars. Again, t-shirt. I'm wearing a Star Wars t-shirt on the podcast. Yeah, he hasn't. He hasn't watched it since the last time. <laughs> uh, 2001: A Space Odyssey. Now, I don't like this film. You're an idiot. Move on. It's just boring. And uh, <laughs> and Ridley Scott's Alien. And uh, does that mean all Alien movies? We'll sort of cut them out for now. Because we'll yeah, Alien back versus Predator—that's got to be up there. Brilliant. Really. So and Predators with uh, Adrian Brody's nose—that was brilliant. And abs. <laughs> really yeah. great. From nowhere. So uh, from I'm the gonna, gym, Connor. From the gym. From the gym. Is that where, <laughs> yeah. is that where you get them from? Apparently, yeah. I, oh, I thought you just have to get superhero powers. I thought if you just wait for long enough, you get six packs. <laughs> <but laughs> non sequitur, just because I thought about Predators and I thought about this, but Tropic Thunder's rubbish, isn't it? 
Yeah. I saw it again recently. It's not. Some of it's really good. Robert Downey Jr. is superb. I think the first part of the first until the Tropic Thunder. I think the first part's kind of fun, and then as soon as you have this whole plot about where they try and simple make the Jack film, and, yeah, simple yeah, Jack thing. That's that yeah, awful. Awful. Anyway, that's got nothing to do with anything. It's not good. even set in space. Could have been good, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, there's absolutely... <laughs> Normally, you've done so well at your segways, yeah. Yeah. and so now you've come up with that. There are kind of parameters to this. There has to be some good long scene set in space. It can't just be on another planet. So, like, right. the Martian could count, but Total Recall wouldn't. Is that right? Because yeah. it takes place all on... on Haven't Mars you already picked your films? I have, yeah. I'm just letting the... So, my films... Uh, Critters 4 in space. <laughs> uh, I'm going to go for, well, we've said it a lot, Interstellar. It's, it's obviously, it, it is one of the most enjoyable films I've ever seen, both at the cinema where I went to see it. Whoa, yeah, hold they, on, they hold on, hold on, listeners. Connor yeah. has been to the cinema I have been in the last 12 months. In the last 12 years, I've been at least twice because <laughs> uh, Jurassic Park got a re uh, release. Uh, yeah, Interstellar. It was just. So, what do you love about Interstellar? Why does it? Why does it make it you? It was list? just. It's not all about science fiction where they just make it all up. Like it's kind of believable, even though it's just like we we found a wormhole and then I got the maths. And when you get back, I'll do the maths. That was the terrible <laughs> Michael Caine impression. Oh, that's quite good. It was like <laughs> yeah. he was in the room. Yeah. So go out there and save them. <laughs> uh, so so yeah. So it was kind of like believable, even though the whole thing's made up. And it looked great. It sounded great. And I think that's a big part of it. It sounded great considering of what you're seeing. It's it's one of you mentioned earlier on. It was like an epic, beautiful looking. It's a stunning, stunning, vis yeah. visually stunning and film. Most of it is set in space. That's the the sound that we always play when we transition yeah. from one <laughs> yeah. set to the best film to the other. <laughs> it may or may not be copyrighted by Microsoft, yeah. but we're not going to worry about that. <laughs> so we'll see. If we can... It's a generic ding. Uh, we'll am I going to jump in much my second one? No. Or, no. We'll come back to you. So there you go. Interstellar. Pete, what was your first? Uh, it's first <laughs> obvious. I mean, it's obvious, guys. It's going to be Machete Kills in, in space. space. But it hasn't come out yet. I'm really looking out, forward so to that one. Yeah, not, but that'll jump straight into my six best. When so it indeed. will probably knock out. It what? comes up. But yeah, if we've started <laughs> with if we started with Interstellar, it, it, maybe it's going to knock out. It won't. I mean, I've just got this. It's too close to my heart. Gravity. I've talked about gravity uh, quite a bit on the show, I think, but. So I'll cut exactly to why Gravity is the best of those three space films. And it, maybe it is, as I've admitted, I think, before, a very personal point, uh, perhaps. But to me, two things, really. Gravity gives you, closer than any cinematic experience I've had, the feeling of what it might be like to be in peril in space and how unforgiving and endless that is. And then this is tied by Alfonso Caron and, and his son into a sort of allegory for going through loss or going through a period of depression. And this is not just something I've pulled out of thin air or is based on the fact that I basically think every film is about loss or depression, which may or <laughs> may well be true. This podcast is but, uh, I said that I said that to my girlfriend the day we watched the film and I was like, was it really about that or was it about depression? And she just said to me, isn't it that you think every was film... That the rock, was that the Rocky one? My, my <laughs> Lego movie. <laughs> Maybe that'll be a feature we can do sometime. Tell me why this film is actually... Six of the best about... Lost in depression. Films you never knew were about depression, but this one is. I mean, when you have those moments where Sandra Bullock is just clinging on for dear life to any kind of, you know, part of the yeah. ship, and 
of the station and the debris is in orbit and they know that the debris is coming around and all you can do when the debris hits is cling on for dear life otherwise you're done for and you're nowhere to me that is that's just a powerfully allegorical image for exactly what people go through when they've lost someone or when they've when they've gone through a really difficult period in their lives so it doesn't rely on that to be a good film if you don't get that if that you know leave that at the door if you like but i just think as a really evocative example of of as close as we've come to showing with cinema cameras and the technology they developed for that thing is incredible. Yeah. You talked about watching the um, the Blu-ray features for Mad Max, I think, earlier yeah. on. If you watch the Blu-ray features for this thing, I mean, just the level of sort of ingenuity that's gone into creating those effects is is mind-boggling to me. And, well, and in so, Interstellar, they used the hopping on one leg technique. So right. They broke the boundaries yeah. with that one. It's next level. But, yeah, I, I just... It really was um, one of the, the most singular... Cinema, cinema experiences I think I, I've ever had and, and for that reason it's well They've just released a new Blu-ray edition of it today and I couldn't quite work out this second sight edition or something I don't I don't know what extra was on it but it might be worth a look Just wait till I come up with Gravity 2 in space <laughs> Paul yours up <laughs> I, I, I ran out of things to say that Oh no we need that, <laughs> yeah. that window sound again I'm going to throw Dark Star into the mix here Whoa. Never, never heard of it. Which I believe, and someone probably will correct me if I'm wrong, is John Carpenter's first ever film. Oh, really? Yes. And it's, uh, now I, I, I'd say I've never heard of it. I did, because I saw it on your shelf earlier on and I read the back. Is it a spin-off of Brave Star? Yes. A cartoon about the cowboy? With the horse? Yeah. No. Eyes of I the will horse. read you the back. Does anyone have speed of I will read you the back of the Blu-ray here, because I'm sick of both of you interrupting me, so I'm just going to read off of a Blu-ray now. for research. research. It's a brilliant... <laughs> No. It's, uh, it's written by Dan O'Bannon, right? It's written by Dan O'Bannon. Dark Star is, I believe it was actually John Carpenter's student film. It's zero budget, very, very low budget, set on set on a ship in space. It obviously take it does obviously take some cues from 2001 and kind of pokes fun at it in a way. Yeah. Um, but it's just, the dialogue is so dry and it's just, it's a very bizarre film. Very bizarre and film. Dan O'Bannon's in it as well. Yes, Dan, main... Dan O'Bannon's in it. And it didn't. It, now, I might be wrong. Did he co-write or write Alien or Total Recall? Alien. Was it Alien? Alien and yeah. maybe Total Recall then. And what was the other guy? Shusset. Ron, Ron Shusset or something. I think so. Yeah, but we're talking about yeah, Dark we're talking Star, about not, not Alien. But yeah. So is it is it now? Does it is it on par with like Interstellar or is it on par with Enjoyment as like the Godzilla? It's. it's or is it Buckaroo Banzai? It's more Buckaroo Banzai-esque than, than anything else. It's it's a very it's a very unusual film. Kind of like there's there's an alien in it that is a, that is just a giant sort of inflatable ball. Yeah. Um. And the, you know, it's very very low budget, but it's so it's such a dry dry sense of humour. I remember watching it, for example, as a student with, with a friend of mine, and they these guys are just they're basically just bored in space. Right. And rather than and you kind of you really get the impression when you're watching that actually a lot of space travel. Would be quite like the way, quite like the way they're just sitting around talking about absolute rubbish, yeah. just completely and utterly bored. And it's just, it's a very, very funny film, very, very dry. And if you haven't seen it, it's it's charming, and it goes, it shows John Carpenter's talent early doors. Really, it's it's a bizarre film, but it's I would I'd highly recommend it. It's a bit I've of a cult. Kind of film, right? It's very much. It's very you much. You have to a, find it once you find it. It's very much. It. A, it's very much a cult film, and I'm. I'm trying. I'm deliberately being kind of vague on the plot because you yeah. have to really. You have to see yeah. it. Really. Well, I'm keeping incredibly surprised. quiet because I've got but, to confess I've never seen it. I've never seen it, but it's. 
on the back it says it's a 2001 piss take, basically, right? Is it, or is that just what they put on there so that they could sell more tickets? Like, it's Tarantino yeah. makes Guy Ritchie yeah, on, on the, speed. On the, like, yeah, well, it, it, on the front it says, like, first there was the Poseidon Adventure, and then there was okay, 2001. Okay, well, say a bit more about it. It's essentially, there is, there is kind Guy of... Ritchie on speed. There is, a, there is a rogue AI in it, so it is kind of a little bit like right. Hal. I was trying, yeah. not to, trying not to go into too much detail. So, yeah, there is, there is kind of a 2001 parody in a way, but I think it actually it's in... Because it's so well-written and because it's so so silly and so kind of out there that I think it becomes more than a straight-up parody. Yeah, it's not like Spaceballs. No, it's not like Spaceballs. Which is no. my not. It's definitely not my next one. <laughs> yeah, I didn't um, like that either. Spaceballs. Mel Brooks has made some Spaceballs. amazing movies, but... Spaceballs, Spaceballs, Spaceballs is not one of them, no. Not close, um, anything. Now, this is... <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> uh, Six of the worst. <laughs> mine, I think... This was... I'm kind of torn, because I really like movies like Starship Troopers. It's one of my favourite movies, but... I wouldn't consider it a space movie, even though it all takes place in space. <laughs> <laughs> it's more of a sci-fi That's movie. your prerogative, you don't yeah. have to. So you've got things like Apollo 13, do I go with that, which is a proper space movie, a really well-made one. But no, I'm going to go with Mission to Mars. Oh. Yeah. Brian De Palma's is not very good <laughs> Well, the, it came out around the same time as Red Planet, do you remember that? Which, which wasn't with great Val, Which was terrible, with Val Kilmer and Carrie-Anne Moss and an AI robot and things. But Mission to Mars is for me that one scene where Tim Robbins takes takes his suit helmet off and then he dies and it's just it's a horrifying like you were talking about being like if you haven't seen it guys spoiler warning yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> uh, it's just it's really good about these guys who's been dreaming about going to Mars since they were young since they were first kids essentially and that's why Tim Robbins has that little uh, crackerjack spaceship necklace thing and then eventually they get to go to Mars and it's not as smooth as, as they think it's going to be. There's problems with the ship and on the ship. Yeah, yeah, it's really good. And the music by Andrew Mulcahy right, is for me, it worked, for me, it worked well because it's Brian De Palma, isn't it? Yeah. For me, it worked well up until and I can't quite remember the. Oh no, I do remember the insane ending. And for me, oh the yeah, oh, it's just, even better. Yeah. The ending just fell apart of the scenes for me. Oh, I love like, the ending. We're not that. That would be a spoiler alert if we told you what happened. But. Or just a straight-up spoiler, I suppose. Yes, yeah, spoiler, <laughs> yeah. spoiler alert for the note. It's just, yeah, it, I think it was really well-made, considering it was a Brian De Palma film. And oh, ouch, Brian De Palma's made a number of... Brian De Palma's yeah, made tremendous films yeah. in his earlier Sometimes days. they're kind of forgettable, like the style and everything of it, but he does something different with the whole gravity and on the... On the space. Yeah, that was the Alfonso Crown that made gravity. No, the gravity on this. Yeah, which would be nothing without Mission to Mars. Yeah, but the gravity. Why is it called gravity? Because there's no gravity. Cause it's oh. Because it's about depression and loss and idiot. And the gravity also, of that situation. Also, it's annoying when people interrupt you when you're speaking, isn't it? Yeah, kind of, a little bit. But uh, I think for me, it's it's the music put by Ennio Morricone that, that gets it. Because it's, it's definitely not music that you would expect from a movie that comes out in the noughties. Were you surprised it was such a... A failure at the box office? Do you expect to see more? Because it did bomb, didn't it? If I remember rightly, it didn't. I, and critically, I, I don't, don't even I don't remember it, it. I don't think it was loved critically. I don't remember it coming out at the cinema okay. at all. I think it was DVD, straight to DVD. So it was that, and you know, as you mentioned, Red, Red Planet, Planet at the same yeah. time, and neither did particularly well, I don't think. But. No, but then the sci-fi movies haven't, like space movies. I don't think Event Horizon did that well at the cinema three years before them, did it? John Carter of Mars absolutely oh, bombed recently. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's not very good. But unfortunately, unless you add the word Star Wars before it, then but it's But I mean, not if this movie had been called, like, not Matt Damon, because that's the actor, <laughs> but whatever his character is called, of Mars, it'd be rubbish. Yeah. Like, who wants that? Like, Especially if it's a terrible bit of Disney above it. 
Disney's The Martian, which is a movie. There is a movie called Disney's The Martian with Christopher Lloyd in it, I'm pretty sure. Reviewed on the next, uh, yeah, the next episode. So that's mine. Okay, bringing this thing into space port. Is that what I do? Wow. <laughs> oh, wow. So we need to get this back to the space port. Yes, Earth. That'll be the end of the terror, space mission. I, I want to be like really sort of out there and, and nominate a documentary I saw about the Columbia space disaster, but I'm not going to do that. Although, there should be a film made about the Columbia space disaster, like a dramatic one, but I think maybe that because it's too, too recent, yeah, yeah, too recent history and affected people who are still alive so directly, but that is just a compelling what, story. Apollo 13 was how many years after, like 30? When was it, 94? Right. When the movie came out and when it happened was You probably 60s. need that 2030 yeah. year window, yeah. so that'll leave us yeah, somewhere in 2033, I guess we can see Really that. looking forward to it. Yeah, on the podcast in 2033, I'll have that <laughs> review for you guys. Um, but no, what I'm actually going to go for is a film that I'm sort of surprised that more people haven't seen when I just speak to people in general, and that is Duncan Jones' film Moon. Moon. This is oh, David, Moon's brilliant. Duncan Bowie to, to yeah. you know, uh, David, Bowie. David, David Bowie's son. Zowie Bowie, isn't it? Um, is Zowie Bowie? But anyway, we digress. Yeah, so, so Duncan Jones, who went on to make a Source Code after this, where he sort of played oh. around with timelines and stuff, which I thought was, all, again, like one of those films I sort of admired more than really liked. Yeah, I like lot. the concept. Yeah, and... and I mean, it's a typ- typical example, example of, of a talented director just going to Hollywood a little bit too soon and his, his kind of vision being... Probably watered down a little, but I think the source code because it's nowhere yeah. near as good as Moon. Yeah, maybe so, but then it's still kind of on a limited Hollywood budget. Mm. I'm not talking about that film anyway. Uh, yeah, Moon, yeah, yeah Moon, Moon um, uh, limited sort of storytelling because it's basically the Sam Rockwell show, right? You've got Sam yeah. Rockwell, he's on his own, and hell, there is the view all the Blu-rays and DVDs. <laughs> can I read the back? Can I read my review? If you want to read the yeah. back, yeah, that's fine. Box. So, Brilliant. Uh, <laughs> one of the best films of the year. News said of the, the news of the world. Oh, there you so, go. That's Take it sort off, of scrub it from the list. And they last. <laughs> yeah. uh... Do I need to say more? <laughs> no. If you've got the thumbs up from News of the World, then you're in. And they're dead now, right? Yeah. News of the World. Um, shame. <laughs> dead. Yeah. Moon. Um, if you combine what I think is the not insignificant talent of Duncan Jones with the not insignificant ta- talent of Sam Rockwell, who is probably one of my favourite. He's so like enjoyable to at the, the moment. In even films that are quite bad, like um, the Chuck Palahniuk adaptation, Choke, oh, has yeah. him in it. And, and it, I'll watch that again, because he's probably, in, because he's in he's, it. He's actually been a lot more sci-fi than I think. Because mm. uh, he was in uh, one, another one of my favorite, Galaxy Quest, right. as, as Guy. You've not seen Galaxy Quest? Oh, it's, oh, he's Galaxy fantastic. Quest. And, I'm being uh, found out today. And uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Because he's got Martin Freeman out in office. Yeah. He came out of the office. Anyway, so why, why is Moon? Moon. Why is Moon yeah, I mean, I, I don't even know if I want to say too much more than that. It's it's just a really powerful, uh, powerfully acted um, turn by, by Sam Rockwell. It deals with sort of isolation and paranoia and depression. Yeah, yeah. It's about loss. Are you alright? It's about depression. Well, you know, Paul, you know, I'm not. Um, but none of us are, really, are we? Oh, wow. <laughs> really get down to it. Um, yeah, it does a lot with a little. Yeah. And it, it again, maybe it is a link to gravity, I suppose, because for me, you can't deal with space unless you're going to go sort of Star Wars and, and sort of be big and, and operatic and sort of a big showpiece. Yeah. If you're looking at the topic of space anchoring your story, then it is about 
things that can't be explained. It's about things that are beyond you. It's about like your own. And it has to be about isolation because yeah. look out there, everyone would of course be isolated. Exactly, so. and and so I think that the films for me that really grab me that are about space, yeah, they often do go into that territory of sort of quite dark issues and issues that people deal with, and that's not an accident. I think in in cases of directors dealing with that yeah. as, as the root or the anchor of their storytelling. So yeah, and that, uh, Kevin Spacey. Is the robot is the, Gertie? Yeah, the faithful yeah. friend. Yeah, so there's a lot to recommend Moon, but I would really say it's one of those films that you should go in as, as sort of blind. Oh, to say anything can. about this plot, the plot yeah. would probably would probably spoil. We didn't even mention. I mean, we mentioned earlier on Guardians of the Galaxy. Is that is that a space movie? Yeah, it counts. Okay, but that, see, that's the other way. That that goes with sort of Star Wars for me, in the sense that it's a yeah, I don't worry about. Chewing. That's not about. That's a space opera more than a space film. Uh, that's true. Whatever that means. <laughs> it's a space <laughs> opera. That's no moon, world. says that's... the news of the world. <laughs> yeah. So um, I guess that sort of wraps us up and indeed, yeah, crash lands us into the sea for the into end of the space. Do I not get my second, my second choice? Oh, you're not it, done. It's five of the best now, right? Five of the best. Your top five. You're five. Excluding what is it? Yeah, I'm, tired, I'm right. so sorry. Yeah. I got all wrapped up. Sorry, Johnny Three Shows. It was good. I was isolated, you see, and I was mildly depressed, and I just forgot about all other people. It was. Well, it's fine. The sunshine. Of me, Paul. Sunshine. That's it. We finished now. Brilliant. Yeah, good choice. No, sunshine. Danny Boyle. Now, is that about isolation, depression, or lots? Yeah, it kind of is actually. Yes, there's there's a lot of that in there's a lot of that in sunshine. God, space is depressing, isn't it? And did you ever? I've only just thought about the fact that a film about travelling to the sun is directed by a man called Danny Boyle. Sorry, move on. Oh, nice. Nice. They will nice. boil if they get there. Yeah. Oh, oh, that's that, good. Can we talk about why I love Sunshine? Or? Yeah, yeah. Okay, I, I, I absolutely adore Sunshine as it a film. Fantastic. People moan about the final act. I don't actually think yeah, the final so act is... Bad, I don't it? I don't think it's real. But what do you mean? I don't think the final act is real. Well, I'm probably I with think you, but I just think it's, I think it's badly handled, even if it, that is the case, because I can completely get outside. But anyway, get back to the film. What What's good about it? I love... Taking the final act apart, the sen- the, sen- the, t- the cast in Sunshine, they were ma- I think they were made to go- live together something like three months before, three or six months beforehand in the same house. And there's just, Sunshine is just, it shows an exact, it just shows Danny Boyle, I think, probably at its finest with, again, an amazing attention to detail. It's got the atmosphere of Alien. It's got a superb cast that play off each other very, very well. I think probably one of the best Chris Evans performances. Yeah. Um, the, spe- the effects work, I think, is fantastic. A lot of it was done with models. The film cost something like £30 million to make, yeah, which, which is, is crazy. Nothing, nothing for that kind of thing. I like the whole, con- I like, I like the whole concept of people, the isolation and the fact that people, they would jar with each other. Yeah. They're stuck in an enclosed space. They would end up hating each other. I just think, the, and the mute, again, the score... Forget the guy. John the, the, Murphy, I think. Yeah, John yeah. Murphy. He was also the only other film I've heard him score. Actually, is the Last House on the Left remake. Uh, Twenty Eight Days Later. Did he score Twenty Eight yeah, Days Later? So, okay, yeah. I've seen that as well. So yeah. I probably should have picked that it's up. It's the yeah. Last House on the Left remake with Jesse Pinkman out Breaking Bad, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Are they in space? No, they're not in space. <laughs> Would no. this film have been better if it had had Rosario Dawson's pubic hair in it? Because I feel like Danny Boyle added that to his repertoire. Oh, in trance. Down in, in trance. <laughs> now, I see Sunshine for me is it's Alien meets uh, Event Horizon. Because it kind of is people on board are going to go crazy. Yeah. And the whole look and feel of it is 
very alien inspired and I think he even says on the commentary it is oh, well, it's, it's all inspired yeah, you put little wears, jungly things on the dashboard it wears influences on his sleeve and I think yeah. you know whatever you say about the that's not to say it's a bad thing. The fi- whatever you say about the final act, I mean, for me, so I wait, what, what, what is this thing about the final act? What do you mean? It's all, it's not real. Spoiler warning. Yeah. For people who haven't seen Sunshine out there. Oh yeah, tell us what it's about in um, one sentence. They're travelling to the sun to restart the sun. Nice. To drop off the payload. Yeah. With all of, with all of Earth's fissionable material. Welcome to Icarus 2. And definitely, by it was here, definitely better than that film, uh, The Core. Oh wow! It's like the core in reverse. It's the reverse core. Yes. Yeah. If you want to, if we got this rubbish CGI, moan, let's go to the moan, center of the. If earth. you want to moan about the end of Sunshine, sit through the bloody core because it is the core in reverse. I think and I tried to watch the core. It, I got two minutes in. I've now seen the core twice. I watched it again the other day. Just as a, I don't know why, but I did. <laughs> Just a double. Time. Anyway, Sunshine, yeah. I think it's brilliant. It looks fantastic. It's tense all the way through. Yeah. It is. It does have a divisive final act. I don't have a problem with the final act. But there I are can people understand why people do. Third act is not real or something? No, that's just me, I think. Oh, I, I think maybe maybe I do have a problem with the final act and I've come up with my own theory on it. <laughs> it's not real. It's not real and it's all happening in their heads because they're going mad because they're that close to the sun. Right. But I, I love sunshine. Sunstroke. I've not done it any and justice in this rambling appraisal of it. Well, it sounds, and I'm sure you'll agree with this, like, it sounds like the most obvious thing to say about this film. But what an astonishing um, image the sun is in sunshine. Oh, and the, like, the, the way the, it reflects the, sh- the sail. Like, oh, the, and the, just... Well, the gold space suits. They've got the 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 big uh, oh, the solar panel. That, yeah, no, they've got a big barrier. They've got a sun, a big sun, big pair of sunglasses on the front of the ship, so that they are protected <laughs> from it. A sun visor. There you go. And he says, like, uh, what's the safest thing I can see down there? Like, oh, this many million miles away, you can view it for twenty seconds at like eight percent. Yeah. And, like, and, and ultimately, and, and I like, and the, the whole thing about essentially, you know, they, they talk about God in it and. They essentially say about meeting your creator, and you kind of are going yeah. to see God because, in ter- from a scientific perspective, the closest thing to God in our solar system is the sun, and that it explores those issues. and I love it. Absolutely yeah, love because we started the sun, and then, and then Rupert Murdoch. <laughs> my my mother always used to tell me not to look directly into the sun. So one day when I was nine, I did. Oh, I wish I was on a movie podcast for people who watch film. <laughs> Pi, okay, which is a perfect segue into Darren Aronofsky, which is also a perfect segue into The Fountain, which is yeah. then, a, then a segue into the fact that one of my outliers on this countdown would be The Fountain, because although The Fountain is not it probably the parameters he set out at the beginning, it would fall outside of those. Because I don't it's, think The Fountain fits into any parameters. Jumping around. No. Well, it, well, it does, because the whole sequence that's sort of floating in space with the Tree of Life is clearly not on Earth, it's in space. No, but not, and it was not in a bad way. Oh, I see what you mean. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Sometimes I did feel what I I just decided that. to jump down your throat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I actually really like The Fountain. Not for the first yeah. time today. No, no. I did feel like it was like someone was carrying loads of different movies and all the different film cameras in the film. Do you know, and, by the way, what the fountain's about? And then, is it about lost depression? <laughs> Genuinely is. <laughs> it is. But it did feel like people, someone dropped a load of different films and then they put them together in the wrong order and then they, they made the fountain. It's interesting, though, because I'm just it's completely diverging from the point here, but, but uh, Rachel Weisz is in that, who is was with Aronofsky at the time, but then was doing love scenes with Hugh Jackman. It's just a, a weird sort of di- dynamic between the I think that happens quite a lot. Yeah, you get uh, directors that have to direct them. Not as weird as as like uh, Dario Argento with Asia Argento doing sex scenes in no, his own films, which is like another. Yeah, there's a whole other podcast. On this is a, a deep mine of conversation for another time. But um, 
yeah, I mean, as for today, six the best. I don't think I've cut anyone off now, right? We've all done our nominations. Yeah, we've so, done our nominations. So, so, to run back through from the top. because <laughs> yeah, we've, we've lost it. Yeah, we've lost the plot. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're too close to the sun. I think we've gone like a little yeah. bit insane. None of this is real. Mine is Interstellar and Mission to Mars. Yeah, and I gave you uh, Gravity and Moon. I gave you Dark Star and Sunshine. So that rounds up our six of the best for today. I suppose it only leaves us to say you can contact us at all the regular places and do actually do that because, <laughs> you know, the, I feel like if we were getting decent amounts of correspondence, you know, that would bring up other topics of conversation for the show, which is only going to make this whole thing richer. So we'd love to hear from people. If you want rid of Connor, then tell us. Yeah, whatever, he can, yeah. If you want rid of me, then tough. Otherwise, I'm uh, But if you want rid of Connor, then... Oh, so it's yeah, easy yeah. enough to get rid of me. Then yeah. you guys will have to deal with loss... And depression. <laughs> so, well, yeah, and if you're just going through a tough time, just get in contact, share. <laughs> we'll recommend a space film that will really resonate with you. But, um, yeah, all the normal places, we've mentioned them many times, you know where we are. Um, it's just for me, Pete, to say uh, goodbye. And for me, Paul, to say goodbye. And goodbye from Connor. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the end of our show. See you next time. <laughs>